Hi, and welcome to the Everywhere Podcast. We're a global community of founders and operators who've come together to support the next generation of builders. So the premise of the podcast is just that, founders interviewing other founders about the trials and tribulations of building a company. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey folks, how's it going? My name is Eamon Carey. I'm a general partner at Terra Ventures and LP and Everywhere Ventures was part of the team that ran the fund in Europe back from 2019 onwards. And I'm really excited to be here today hosting this podcast with Tuomo Lane, who's the founder and CEO of Rental. Tuomo, thanks for coming on and thanks for joining us today. You're great to be here. Thanks for the invite. So maybe just for the uninitiated, tell us a little bit about what is Rental, what are you guys doing, and then we can dig into the background and much more. So Rental is a commerce platform designed for circular economy. And uh, essentially, that's what we do. We're the Shopify of helping merchants and brands launch circular offerings, whether they are service subscriptions, rentals, resales, buyback or trading programs. That's in a nutshell what we do. And my background comes from tech. I've been always a geek, as we will probably get into during this podcast. But that's kind of where we operate and what we do. And how are you guys tracking success, right? Because this... Obviously, Shopify has been around for a long time. E-commerce has been around for a long time. Rental, subscription, various different things have been around. But I think combining it all into one platform, kind of, how do you think about the impact you're making and the success metrics you're tracking? Yeah, I think, well, this is true probably to any commerce platform. But at the end of the day, I think the only way to measure your impact and success is through the GMB of, of, of the platform. So how much are actually merchants selling with the tools that you provide with them? In our case, the fun fact is that all of that GMV also represents a transition from linear towards circular commerce. So the models through which the merchants are doing that GMV are by nature a lot more sustainable due to the fact that in most of the times, it's not actually a new item that gets sold for ownership. It's something that there's an item that gets servitized, so it's coming back to the merchant, so it serves more people during its life cycle, or that it's a pre-loved good where it's getting that second life cycle. So that's a big, big, big measurement for us. At the end of the day, it's the GMV. It's in our case, resonates both for the sustainability metrics and at the end of the day, the success of our customers as they are building their businesses. And maybe take us back a little bit. The first time I went to visit your office in Espo, just outside Helsinki, you had a full ski shop set up as a, as a test bed for the business and, and so that people could see the in-store experience of using rental. But where did the idea kind of originally come from? And maybe talk us through the journey that's brought you to this platform play. Yeah, sure. So the history is long and, and serendipitous, but I, I'd say that there's a couple of these key points that built the dots that it starts to make sense. So back in, I think it was around early 2000 in Helsinki, there were city bikes. And these city bikes, it was like bike sharing system, but how these bikes worked was that you had like two euro coins as a deposit system. It was a great service. It worked for one season, but not more due to the fact that two euros of a deposit is not enough to incentivize often maybe a little bit intoxicated uh, young Finnish male to return that bike to that place where they took it. So half of those bikes ended up in the Cedar River. So then time goes on and somewhere, I think it was maybe 2010, 2012 or something like that, we got a new cohort of, of a new bike system. There was a slight difference there. They got rid of the deposits in, in the form of coins. And actually how that worked, you had an extremely lightweight account system that was powered by this Stripe set up where you created a lightweight account, you attached your credit card to it, Stripe did a authorization or a card, and then if you didn't return the bike, you get, I think, charged up to 500 or so. 
And that changed stuff quite drastically. You know, I think it was out of... Basically, a lot less pollution in the river, basically, after that. <laughs> exactly. We saved the river. But I think it was like two bikes got stolen or not returned. So at the time, we were with my co-founders. We were studying in, in Aalto University in this program called Information Networks, which is a combination of technology, business, and arts, and humans, I'd say, at the end of the day. So we just got super intrigued to the fact that with this kind of... Uh, Let's say fintech setup, you could actually make people behave a lot better. And that was the point where we wanted to utilize that same technology in some other setting where we essentially make sharing economy work. We ended up working with the local 7-Eleven, enabling them to launch this power bank proof of concept. That wasn't that great of a business when it comes to numbers. But if you think about the UX of 7-Eleven, it is this kind of transaction that can last maybe 20 seconds or so. So you go out there, you take your lottery ticket or whatever is the reason why you came there. And then you grab five chocolate bars and that's how they make their gross margin. So we have the challenge on how do you actually design UX where you sell access to your good and not the ownership of that good. So essentially a rental without any pre-existing accounts, any pre-existing apps or so. So how do you kind of do this? And that's where we started to play around with a lot of payment technologies and commerce set kind of related technologies and started to understand that that's actually super underserved market. Prior to many of those kind of experiences there, we called through most of the European payment service providers and payment terminal providers and tried to ask a simple question that we just want to sell access. So the good comes back to the merchant. So we need this returning aspect of things and we need things like deposits and time bearers charges and all of these. And all of them said that that couldn't be done. And we just knew that, yes, it can be done because we just experienced it with the city bikes and Stripe and so on. So that's where we started to understand that yeah, actually what the market needs is better infrastructure when it comes to trigger economy in terms of commerce software. And then I guess bring me up to date because you went then from various different types of equipment rental to now working with big, big companies like Decathlon here in the UK and talking to lots of folks kind of more globally. So tell me about that kind of expansion of the idea and where you guys are at in terms of the company size. Sure. So at that time, we were three founders, so quite a scrappy small team. When we started out, we wanted to kind of figure out what's our go-to-market. Where do we actually get to experience stuff in a way that we fully understand the problems that a merchant that operates rentals or similar might have? We actually ended up renting from our, one of our demo customers. We rented an RV. We throw through Finland. We slept at the kind of yards of local ski resorts and ski rental shops for a couple of weeks. We actually did the inventories of, I think maybe 30% of the skis in, in Northern Finland, just to kind of get that scar tissue to understand how a circular business works. And why we ended up actually focusing on ski resources, as our entry target was that we knew that they were a operator that had high volumes, high demands, both in retail and e-com at the same time. So you have a bunch of tourists coming to the store. At the same time, you have to be able to kind of get thousands of skis out in a half an hour and then get them back in. So we figured out that if we can help them with better software, we can help anyone. So that was our entry market. And then a small thing called COVID started about, I think we raised our, our pre-seed investment. And then like three weeks later, there was COVID. And our main focus at that time was to help in-store rentals for ski, ski resorts. We had to do a little bit of pivoting there. I think that was the point where organically, you know, of course, the need for e-commerce was quite big. So we go through randomly around, across the world. I, we just set a target that we want to per week talk with over 200 rental operators in a week. We called through thousands of rental operators around the world and were asking their main problems. And of course, e-com, e-com, e-com came about. 
So that was the point where we started to expand our offering from the retail optimization, kind of in-store optimization towards e-commerce optimization. And that was the point where it really started to kind of then resemble a full-blown commerce platform when it comes to kind of the big value propositions. And then fast forward today, we're now about 30 people. We have great backers like you, yourself and, and everywhere VZ. And we serve over 20,000 merchants. So if we count into all of the kind of merchants that join into our premium program and then go to our paid plans and then larger brands, like you mentioned, like Decathlon and, and local brands like Motonet or Rab from UK. With great power comes great responsibility and with more money comes more problems. What are the challenges that you're facing at the moment? What are the big things for you, whether it be hiring, whether it comes to juggling, do you go to the US market? Do you go to other markets? Kind of what are some of the things that are on your mind? So yeah, there's, there's a plethora of problems, I'd say, and challenges. But gladly, if you think about challenges as opportunities, there, you have some actionability related to them. So I, I'd say the, the main stuff, of course, we have an eternal problem when it comes to our R&D roadmaps. So already having tens of thousands of, of merchants that provide you with insights on what are the features that they need, etc. And then I think one of the challenges is that when you truly become a commerce platform, it's kind of, you can connect it anything. There's so many potential opportunities for you to build extra value for the merchants that use you, whether it's a payment integration or shipping integration or some kind of a different kind of a partnership integration or specific features for specific verticals. You have to become extremely good at prioritizing and understanding what are the necessities that you build that serve everyone and how do you enable the more edge cases to be maybe provided by an agency or a third-party app developer or just Build on top of APIs and webhooks. So that's a continuous challenge, of course, for us. How do you prioritize? What's the maximum kind of benefit that we can provide for all of the merchants? Then more on the maybe operational side, I think building commerce platform is, is an art of doing a lot of front-loaded R&D and marketing investments. And then understanding that how do you do that capital efficiently is, is no small task. And that's where great investors come into play that understand the platform playbook. I'd say those are a couple of the examples. Yeah. On the opportunity side of things, I know we've talked about this in board meetings and beyond previously that, you know, Shopify unleashed this kind of generation of e-commerce enablers, right? E-commerce businesses and marketplace businesses. Do you see the same thing happening in the circular economy? Are you starting to see, I mean, I know when we spoke first, you talked about like a guy in Sweden who started off renting one kayak and is now kind of building a little kayak empire. Are you starting to see more and more of that emerge? Yeah, Definitely. For me, it's always like thinking, what are the next 1 million brands or merchants or retailers? What kind of business models do they use and what kind of solutions they need? Maybe zooming out a little bit from that kind of rental side of things, just to kind of make sure that we also talk a little bit about the resale side. I think the one way of how to think about the market is that we're entering into a world where it costs more to manufacture goods. At the same time, consumers aren't necessarily increasing their purchasing power. So it's either stagnating or even decreasing in some cases. So it's the margins are getting squeezed for any retailer. It starts to be challenging to make, kind of finance your OPEX from individual one transactional sale. You can simplify by saying that we're entering a world where brands and retailers need ways on how to at least at minimum sell an item twice. So that can mean by design systems like rentals and subscriptions, or it can mean buyback trading programs where you get back that item and then you sell it as, as preload goods. Now, what combines all of these things, in, in our opinion, is that we are entering a world where every item that gets sold is unique. So it has a unique usage history. It has unique conditions, grading, etc. 
So our bet is that the next 1 million merchants in the world actually need commerce platforms that acknowledge the fact that you don't anymore have SKUs and then a big number next to it, where it doesn't matter which one of those items you take out of the shelf when you, when you pick back and ship it, actually each one is unique and optimizing your business becomes understanding your inventories in a single article level. It's kind of single SKU commerce, if, if, if that were to be a term. And again, finally, it's not anymore just about pick, pack, and ship. It's about pick, pack, ship, receive, inspect, refer, pre-stock, and then simultaneously sell that item in your resale and rental catalogs. So it becomes a lot more complex. And I guess that complexity is is one of many things that keeps you awake at night. But maybe tell me a little bit about the... Because I think rental is the first investment into Finland that Everywhere Ventures has made. Maybe tell me a little bit about the Finnish ecosystem, right? People might, well, people will remember Nokia, right? Who started out, I think, making tires and wellies and ended up with phones and, and they'll know Supercell and some might know Aura and others. But tell me a little bit about the kind of ecosystem there and how supportive it is. Because like you mentioned Mackie leading your, your pre-seed round. Obviously, they back Volt and others in the recent past. Yeah, definitely. I'd say we're extremely lucky to exist in Finland. So we have a super good and, and I'd say quite mature ecosystem at this point. So you mentioned all of the big names from Nokia to Supercell to Volt to Aura, a big gaming industry. We have quite professionalized investment side of things that are well-networked, both in the kind of Nordics and Middle European and all the way to the US, I'd say, thanks to these larger players like Volt and Supercell. So the Finnish ecosystem, I'd say, is a great, great place to operate because at the same time, if we have all of those benefits, it's small enough that we can even have like a WhatsApp group where you can reach out to some of these uh, giants and just ask them, hey, how do you do this? And then at the same time, you know, demystify some of the stuff and understand that these companies were also built by humans and not some like unicorns, even though they built unicorns, they weren't built by unicorns, maybe if, if you can say like that. And now, in my experience, fans would not necessarily be best known for their self-promotional skills. But in these WhatsApp groups, you know, now that you're at the stage where you're scaling the business and there's probably founders who are at the earliest stages joining in, what do you think they look to you for? What do you think they see as Tuomo's superpower? Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether I have any superpowers. I hope they, they don't expect those. But maybe at the end of the day, my superpower has been throughout my life, the fact that I'm super bad at saying that something cannot be done or accepting maybe that. So I'm the youngest of three brothers. So I kind of have that eternal need to prove that I can do stuff on my own and all of that. So I, I think that's one of the superpowers. And then another one is that I consider myself at the end of the day, just a regular person. And I often say that I'm the stupidest one in the room, which means that I have to ask why quite many times. I'm not willing to accept these kind of high level abstract things that I could just memorize. I often need to go to quite fundamentals to feel content that, that I understand something. So my superpower usually is that out of the people in the room, I'm most content in asking why quite many times and, and trying to understand the fundamental. And I found that that sometimes helps the founders in the early days when they are faced with complex things, whether it's about VC funding and such, that you have that ability to simplify it to basics and, and remind themselves then that, hey, it's not so complicated. You have two players and they're trying to achieve something. Yeah, I think if, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're generally generally in the wrong room, right? I think is the yeah. uh, is the phrase. On the topic of kind of learning more and kind of educating yourself, you know, are there 
podcasts that you listen to or any books that you've read recently that you kind of go, yeah, this has, has kind of changed my perspective on things? Yeah, well, on, on the podcast front, I think I was checking what are the most listened podcasts that I have. I, I have two. I have Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and then I have Acquired. The other is for leisure, and other with business, and you can everyone can judge which one is which. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been enjoying those quite a lot. So I have about twenty-five minute walk to work and out of the work, and I think those are extremely good for me to listen. Either it's kind of just to get your mind out of the operational mindset, or then just kind of listen. What, what I like, for example, about Acquired is that when they go through the uh, stories of these big giant companies and the classics. It's interesting to hear the actual story behind the founder or similar. So you get these kind of connection points at some points. So those would be my two recommendations, I'd say. Yeah, I think they're great recommendations. And I think, as you say, seeing people as, as human beings, founders, particularly ones that have maybe been lionized or mythologized as, as unicorn founders, and hearing them talk about you know when it was them and an idea and a bag of croissants and some supermarket coffee trying to get it off the ground is, uh, I think, quite refreshing to hear. And then on a similar vein, I guess, how do you relax? And, and are there places in the world that you go, you know what, I would love to go and spend a year or two years there? Think about like, how do I relax and maybe switch off? Annually, I go to Lapland, the northern Finland, off-grid. There's this hunting cabin where I spend minimum a week usually without any phone connectivity and such. And I think that really much roots you quite quickly. I'm actually super happy to live in Finland due to the fact that, you know, like we said, we have a great ecosystem here. I think there's a lot of good things and that support you in building unreasonably big dreams because Finland does have a quite nice safety network in, in catching you if you try to do something big. Now, if you force me to leave the borders of Finland, then yeah, it's a good question. I might actually want to live a year in the US in, in a city like Chicago or something just to get a taste of that also. Yeah, Finland, the happiest place in the world for the last five or six years, I think, in a... Uh... Yeah, I think we're with Denmark, we're kind of either, we're kind of one or two every year. <laughs> That's a good place to be. Any productivity hacks, any things that you do? You mentioned kind of listening to podcasts to kind of get in and out of the work zone, but but when you're trying to focus or when you're trying to kind of amp up for meetings, anything that you do? Yeah, I think for my personality specifically, if I hit like a roadblock, it's usually to the fact that I have too many things on my head. And my head has turned from, instead of a it being a thinking device, it has become a storage device. So then I try to offload all of those. So I follow this productivity. I don't know if it's a hack bar or system called getting things done at GDD. I think that's where I try to kind of offload all of those things in a way that I can utilize my head for thinking. And usually at that point, you start to get things done when you can, again, use your head for thinking rather than storing thoughts. And for founders, for potential clients, partners, investors, others, you're working the, uh, outside of Maria 01 in Helsinki, which will be a bit of a stalker <laughs> thing to do after listening to this podcast. But where can they find you online? Where can they learn more about you as a business? Yeah. So personally, I'm most active in LinkedIn when it comes to my professionally sharing content at this point. And I don't even know what's the official name of Twitter anymore. So probably... By the time this comes out, who knows? <laughs> it's it's one of the letters. I don't know what, but it's... <laughs> But anyhow, that LinkedIn would probably be, be a place to be. And if you're a client, you just need to ping us and we come to you most likely. So you don't even have to come to Finland. All right. Well, Tuomo, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your thoughts on the podcast. By the time this comes around, I'm sure we'll have all changed our names to just emojis or something equally easy to remember <laughs> in honor of everything that's going on at Twitter or X or anywhere else. But thank you for tuning in and uh, joining us from Helsinki. Thank you, Amen. 
Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you listening, you might also be interested to learn about Everywhere. We're a first check pre-seed fund that does exactly that. We invest everywhere. We're a community of 500 founders and operators, and we've invested in over 250 companies around the globe. Find us at our website, everywhere.vc, on LinkedIn, and through our regular founder spotlights on Substack. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll catch you on the next episode.